have your Bible here this morning, please turn to John chapter 15. John 15, we're continuing our study through the wonderful and profound gospel of John. I want to preach to you today a message entitled, The Secrets of the Vine. John 15, we'll read our text first, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And may God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. The small town of Danvers, Massachusetts is home to the oldest fruit tree in the United States. The Endicott Pear Tree. The man for whom this tree is named, John Endicott, arrived in the New World in the year 16. 29. He was to be the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He was a dedicated gardener, and the very next year after he arrived in 1630, he planted a small pear tree on his property. As his kids watched him planting the sapling, which he had brought over from England, the story goes that he turned to his children and said, We may never eat pears from this tree, my children. But future generations will. Now that was almost 400 years ago. And that tree, listen, is still alive and bearing fruit today. The arborists say that over the centuries, the Endicott pear tree has survived a lot. It has lived through neglect, decay, insect attacks, and still bigger challenges like hurricanes. Storms in 1804, 1815, 1843, and 1934. Worse yet, in 1964, and today there are hundreds of clones of this one pear tree all over our nation. What a cool story. Now the amazing longevity and productivity of that pear tree made me think of how often the Bible relates the agricultural world to the spiritual world. In fact, God expects us to be faithful and to be fruitful. Remember, God's first command to Adam and Eve was, Be fruitful and multiply. And so it's no surprise that in the beginning of the new creation, the new life in Christ, we come to John 15 and Jesus says, Whoever abides in me, I in him, it is he that bears 
much fruit. So it's a repetition of the same command. Be fruitful. Now Jesus, of course, was a master teacher. And many of his object lessons came from the agricultural world. Mustard seeds, grain fields, fig trees. Jesus could take anything and turn it into an object lesson or a sermon. And one of his most memorable teachings to describe the Christian life came from a grapevine. And as he is facing dark Gethsemane and bloody Calvary, Jesus explains to his disciples the secret to spiritual living. And that is abiding in him just as the branches abide with the grapevine. So here we are in John 15. And Jesus is giving one of his most famous lessons. And the passage you probably already noticed includes one of his seven famous I am statements that are unique to John's gospel. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the, the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, his last of seven here in chapter 15, I am the true vine. Now, this passage is loaded and I wish I could preach to you everything that God showed me this week as I studied it again. But I just want to share with you today three secrets of the vine. These are spiritual secrets that come from abiding in Christ. And if you can grab hold of this principle, my oh my, will it change your life. Number one secret of the vine is this. We must stay connected in spiritual fellowship. Stay connected in spiritual fellowship. Now, we've already seen in our text, Jesus uses the word abide 11 times through this sermon. Notice he says it in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not, here it is, abide in me, he is thrown away. Verse 7, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. And then he mentions it again in verses 9 and verse 10. So you are beginning to notice the pattern here of abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 9 and verses 10. Now, Jesus is drawing a metaphor. He's drawing a parallel. What does that word abide mean? It literally means to remain or to Continue. It conveys the idea of living in an unbroken fellowship with Christ who is our source of spiritual strength and growth. And so, notice the metaphor. Just as a vine produces all the sap and carries all the nutrients and contains the life and sends that out to the branches, so too, Jesus is saying, you are to be dependent on me for every aspect of your spiritual life and your productivity. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, wrote about this subject. He said this on abiding. Quote, when we abide in Christ, we are joined to Him as the stone is in the wall, as the wave which breaks upon the sea, as the ring rests on the finger, the spoke to the spinning wheel, the heat produced from the flame, as the grape to the vine. We are in Christ such that our identity is wrapped up in Him and all that spiritual life flows from Him. What a great thought. Many of you know that uh, I have turned into a coffee snob. In fact, I've been there for a while now. 
And I've infected my wife too. She is now a coffee snob. Don't make any of that weak uh, coffee that you can see through. It better be dark and she can't see to the bottom of her mug. She likes that strong coffee. Now, I got this quality from my daddy. My dad, he was a coffee connoisseur and he described his journey for uh, coffee as always in search of the perfect cup. Do I have any coffee snobs in the house today. You like to start your day with a good stiff cup of extra bold. Now, a few years ago, my dad turned me on to an old way of making coffee that was new to me. It's called the French press. I don't know if you've ever seen a French press. Here's a picture of one for those of you that are uninitiated. But it's very different from a traditional coffee maker. In a traditional coffee maker, you grind up the beans or you put your Folgers in and you, you got them there in the filter and they sit on top and the water bubbles up and it percolates down and it passes through the coffee and down into the pot. Well, the coffee press kind of reverses that whole mentality. In a coffee press, you have the open vessel and you got to have fresh beans, by the way. Uh, that's what makes the difference. You've you got to grind your beans, get the perfect fineness and, 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 and uh, grind it up, and then you pour the coffee in the bottom of the French press, and then you pour your hot water on top of it, and you let the grounds abide with the water. You let it marinate. You let it soak. You let it steep. And the longer you allow the relationship between the water and the coffee to marinate, oh, the better your cup of coffee is going to be. I just set some of you free. You're going to go out and try this. You're going to go on Amazon today and you're going to find yourself a coffee press and you're going to try this. Trust me, I'm just trying to help you out. But as the coffee abides in the water, the transfer of the, of the taste and the caffeine from that bean goes into the liquid. And as I have said before, coffee plus Holy Spirit is an awesome combination. But I give you that illustration today of abiding. That's exactly the picture that Jesus has here in our text. The longer and deeper that we abide in Him or rest in Him or marinate, continue, steep in Him, the greater our growth will be. I don't know about you. But I don't want to settle for some decaf weak experience of Jesus. I want the full strength, right? I want to drink from my saucer. I want everything that God has for me. I want more blessings. I want more sermons. I want more of Him and less of me. Lord, I want to abide in You such that they can't tell where I end and You begin. I need more of Jesus today. Amen? That's what abiding means. Now, now that we know what it is, the next question is, how do we stay connected? Your job is to hang on. Your job is to abide. It's the Lord's job to do the transformation and to bring the life and to cause the fruit to grow. Well, if we keep reading this chapter, the Lord gives us two ways to maintain our spiritual connection and that transforming relationship with Him. First way in our text we see is this. We stay connected by conforming to the will of Christ. By conforming to the will of Christ. Drop down to verse 10 in chapter 15 and look at what it says there. If you keep my commandments, watch this, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see that? We conform to the will of Christ. Now, obedience is not a popular thing. We think that's for our animals. We think that's for our children. But you know what? It's for Christians too. There are three motives for obedience in the Christian life. There's dread. Dread says I have to. It's fear-based. If I don't do this, if I don't have my hair the right way, or wear the right clothes, or read the right Bible, or sing out of the right hymnal, God won't love me. I will, and that's legalism. That's fear-based. There's another motive for obeying. That's duty. That's ought to. It's burden-based. I've got to get to church. That's what good Christians do. I've got to read my Bible because the pastor preached on Sunday and I got convicted about it. I've got to show up and teach that class because if I don't, the church will fall to pieces. That's duty, right? It's burden-based. The other is fear-based. But then there's delight. That's the real motive that Jesus has in mind for abiding and obeying. Delight says, I want to. Better yet, it says, I get to. <laughs> right? That's love-based. See the difference here? We've gone from fear to burden to love. And the way that we abide in Christ and prove our love to Him is by doing what He says because of who He is. I get to obey the Lord because there was a time when I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read my Bible. I was lost. I was undone. I was hell bound. I was hopeless. I get to go to the house of God today. I get to lift my voice. I get to sing. I get to teach. I get to clean the commode. And I get to clean the babies in the nursery. I get to serve the Lord. It's a delight to me. I want to please Him. That's the difference. Some of you aren't there today. And I understand that. But listen to me. The way you spell love to the Lord is not L-O-V-E. It's O-B-E-Y. Obedience to God is an expression of our love for God. Adrian Rogers, the great Southern Baptist sage, he said it like this years ago, to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to obey Him. And to obey Him is to be blessed by Him. Drop down to John 14 and verse 23. Notice this, a parallel in this same passage, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will watch this. Keep my word. That's obedience. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him. Here's the abiding part. And he will make our home with him. So, listen, this is so simple. I'm putting the cookies on the bottom shelf today. Nothing complicated. We're not up in the stars and the stratosphere of theology today. This is basic Christianity 101. To obey is to abide, and the more obedient we are, the more of His power, presence, and blessings we will enjoy. Now, listen to me. Some of you don't feel close to the Lord today. You didn't really even want to be here, but I ought to. I've been invited. They're at least fixing lunch. They'll feed me. <laughs> you weren't delightful when you woke up this morning. But duty-bound you came. And some of you don't feel close to the Lord today. Your heart's cold. God seems far away. Your prayers aren't being answered. You've lost the joy of your salvation. Let me point this out to you. One reason that you may not feel close to God today is because you haven't obeyed. You haven't obeyed. 
you haven't dealt with the sin issue in your life. You haven't forgave that person. You haven't prayed. You haven't walked with the Lord. You haven't sought Him. You have held on to your own way of doing things and you haven't obeyed Him in the first thing and because you haven't obeyed Him in the first thing you have no abiding connection. You have no power. You have no peace. You have no presence of God in your life and the joy is sucked up and dried away. Amen? Some of us don't feel the power and the presence of the Lord because we haven't gone back to first base and obeyed Him in the simple thing He told us to do last week, last month, three years ago. And so we're just going through the motions. Let me tell you, you won't be blessed. You won't feel His presence. You won't know His power. You won't understand His peace until you abide in Him and you obey. I told you this is basic stuff. Think of the servant's at the wedding in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2. Jesus gave them a strange command, didn't he? Take those water pots and fill them up to the brim. Why do you want us to do that, Lord? Don't ask, just do it. They filled the water pots up to the top. What did Jesus do? He turned the water into wine. There was blessing in obedience. Even though they didn't understand what the Lord was going to do, they obeyed and God did what they could not do. Think about the nobleman in John chapter 4. He said, Lord, I need you to come to my house and heal my son. Jesus says, you go to your house right now, and when you get there, you're going to find out he's already healed. How many of you would go to the Lord empty-handed, turn around and walk home, having no assurance that what Jesus had spoken had come true? But he did. He, on the way home, the servants met him halfway there and said, you're not going to believe what happened at about 3 o'clock yesterday, about the time that Jesus spoke the word to you. Your son got up out of bed, the fever was broke, and he was healed. You see, there's blessing in obedience. You don't have to know it all to trust him all. You just obey. And as you obey, you abide in Him. He is abiding in you. Think of the blind man in John chapter 9. Jesus put dirt in his eye and He said, Go across town, walk all the way across to the other side of the city and go to the pool of Siloam and then wash the dirt out of your eyes. Jesus, why do you want me to do that? Well, Jesus didn't explain. He said, You obey and then you'll see the blessing. If I'm not obeying, I'm not abiding. So let me ask you this this morning. What blessings have you blocked in your life because you haven't obeyed. I don't know what that is. You know what it is because the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. That's also why it's really quiet in here right now because the Lord's dealing with some of you right now over in a simple obedience issue that you've delayed and rationalized and procrastinated and today's the day. Today's the day to follow through with obedience, to nail it down, to not be wishy-washy anymore, to make it happen. Listen to this. Your experience of Jesus will be proportional to your level of obedience to Jesus. Reading the Bible will give you information. But obeying the Bible will bring transformation. Right? And the parts of the Bible that you really believe are the parts that you've actually obeyed. Our problem is not understanding the parts of the Bible that are cryptic. Our problem is obeying the parts of the Bible that are clear. So, how do we abide in Christ? We stay connected by conforming to the will of Christ. Then, notice this, we stay connected by conversation with Christ. Conversation with Christ. Go back and look again at verse 7. Notice what the Lord has to say here. John chapter 15, 
Verse 7, the Bible is very clear. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, upon first glance, you read this and you think, wow, I got a blank check from Jesus. I can pray for that sea dew. I can pray for that camper that I've always wanted. Lord, I got the winning lottery ticket right here. Why don't you bless it? By the way, don't play the lottery. But upon first glance, you read this and you think, wow, I can ask anything? But notice the conditional. Notice what he says here. If you abide in my words, and my words are in you. That's a pretty big conditional, isn't it? If my word abides in you. You see, as you abide in Christ, you grow in His word, His knowledge, what He expects, what He wants, what His desires are. And as you abide in His word, you know what happens? The word begins to change you. I've said it many times. I read the Bible. The Bible reads me. And I come away changed and different. And what God will do as you abide in His word and His words become uh, part of who you are, God will change your selfish desires into God-glorifying desires. Listen to me, friend. I don't pray the same way today or ask for the same things that I did yesterday. If, if you're still praying the way that you did when you're a baby Christian, have you really grown in your relationship with the Lord? Would you be embarrassed if I called on you to pray out loud today? Now, I'm not going to do that. But chances are, if you're abiding in Christ, you will notice a difference over your life that, hey, I've grown in my conversation with the Lord. I don't pray the same way I used to. I don't ask God for the foolish, selfish things that I used to think were important, but now are different because I've abided in Him. He's changed my heart. He's changed my mind. And now I pray differently. I pray deeper. I pray longer. And it's not an I have to because God's going to hit me over the head with a big King James Bible, but because I get to and I want to and it's the joy of my day to do it some of you have not discovered this yet because the prayer room is still empty week after week hey I'm going to step on some toes right now I've been here long enough I can do this some of you on Wednesday you go home you pack up you leave you're tired I'm done there's a prayer room right back here where you can see God do some amazing things in your life. Instead of going home, stay for 30 more minutes and pray with us. I guarantee it, it will make a bigger difference in your life than any of my sermons ever will. You want to feel the presence and the power of God? You want to see God do some things in your life? Shake things up, move things around, abide with Him in fervent prayer. You want to see God bust the doors and the walls out of this place where we can't meet here anymore? You want to see lost people far away from God get saved? You want to have the ability to forgive people that hurt you so bad that you can hardly put it into words? I'm telling you, you find the power in prayer. And we don't believe it because we take it for granted. Oh, I don't need to do that. That's what we pay the preacher for. He prays for us. No. I can't live your Christian life. You've got to discover this on your own. Abiding in Christ. Each one individual. I challenge you on Wednesday night after your Bible study, you come and you pray with us. I want to see how many of you are serious about that. 
Hey, it's up to you. So he will change your requests and he will conform your prayer life, listen to this, to the Word of God and the will of God. As you abide in Him and you grow in Christ, you notice the prayer is going to change. My prayer is going to be more scriptural and less selfish. My prayer is going to reflect the will of God, what He wants, rather than what I want. Now, let me, let me back this up and say, you can't know somebody you don't spend time with. Some of us don't know the ways of God. We don't know the will of Christ because we don't spend any time talking to Him except when we're in trouble. God help me, I'm in a mess. Bail me out again. You know, if somebody shows up continually in your life asking for a handout when there's a problem, what does that say about your relationship with them? He wants to just hear from you. Hey, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I'm not asking for anything today. I just want to bless you. You're a good God, a merciful God, an on-time God. Lord, I just want to worship you today. I don't want to ask anything of you. I just want to bask in your goodness today, Lord. Lord, fill me. Lord, use me if you can. That's abiding in Christ. There is, let me tell you something. The greatest joy next to seeing your kids get saved the next greatest joy in the Christian life is when you kneel before Him completely helpless, back against the wall. No resources, no hope, no help. And you've abided with Christ long enough that you know, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you've saved me time and time again. God, you've met my needs over and over. God, you've healed my sick body. God, you have led me and abided with me even when I abandon you. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe somehow, some way, you're going to make a way for me. And God, I'm claiming it. I'm just stepping back in faith, and I'm going to be excited about how you do it. My goodness, you see, when God answers prayer in an amazing way, and you abide with Him, you'll learn things about God that you can't learn any other way. The things I'm talking about, I can't teach you from the Bible. I can't teach you as a preacher. You've got to discover it on your own. Discover the power of prayer and the power of abiding in Christ. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, wrote in his book, Spiritual Secret, about a point when he reached almost the end of his ministry. But now you've got to keep in mind, Hudson Taylor was one of the first to go to China as a missionary. Nobody else wanted to go. He was constantly fraught with problems. There was not enough money, not enough workers. He was always being persecuted. His body was always getting sick. But then the turning point came one night. He was about to quit. And he opened up his Bible, and guess where he went? John 15. And he says he realized that in his whole ministry he had made a grave mistake. You see, he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And here was what it was. He said, I repented and decided I would do less striving and more abiding in Christ. He said, quote, As I thought of the vine and the branches, what light the blessed Spirit poured into my soul. I am no longer anxious about anything, for all the resources of the blessed vine are mine. 
I am His and He promised to give me all that I need and more. A few days later, after God showed him that, God tested him in. Isn't that how God does it? God will show you something in the Word and you'll think, glory to God, let's charge hell with a water pistol. And then a couple of hours or a day or two later after you discover that, you know what God's going to do? All right, pull out your pencil and your paper. School's in session. I'm about to give you a quiz. Well, a few days later, Hudson Taylor got news from his cook. He's cooking the mission that they had no more rice and no more money to buy food. Well, he remembered John 15 and verse 7. And so he prayed for God's provision. And Hudson Taylor said, by the end of the day, a package had arrived from a man he did not know in England. He opened up the letter. Out fell 50 British pounds. Enough to buy many months worth of food supplies. And then in the letter it said this. Mr. Taylor, my father recently passed and left me a considerable inheritance and I wanted to use it in such a way that would honor God. I heard about your mission to evangelize China. Please take this gift and I will send more. The amazing thing is in those days, it was the days of the sailboat, the days of horse and buggy, and it took three months for mail to come from England to China. God knew about his problem three months in advance, moved on the heart of that man to send it, and it arrived on the very day that Hudson Taylor needed it. And friend, that's what I'm talking about abiding in Christ. You can't put a money value on it. I can't teach it to you. But once you grab a hold of it, it'll change your spiritual life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've lived it. You've seen it. And you said, there ain't nothing I would trade in the world for abiding in Christ. So we number one, we stay connected. Number two, we submit completely to spiritual formation. Submit completely. Hey, the hamburgers and hot dogs will be there. Just hold on. Give me a minute here. Notice what verse 2 says. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. You know, it's interesting that if you study the Gospel of John... Jesus gave four commands to his disciples. First, he called Peter, John, Nathaniel, Andrew. His first command, John 1, 43, follow me. Pretty easy, right? Then he said to Nicodemus, believe in me. John 3, 16. After washing the disciples' dirty feet in John 14, verse 21, now he said, obey me. Now we come to verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 5, and he says, abide in me. Notice what's going on here. With each command, Jesus increases the promise of intimacy and also increases the level of accountability. Right? The deeper the relationship with the Lord goes, the deeper the intimacy, but also the greater the responsibility He will ask of you. There's a difference between follow me and abide in me. Right? I can't think of anything more difficult than learning to surrender to God's pruning process. He says here that He prunes the branches. Now, for those of you that don't have grapes, let me school you. 
every year about February before the sap starts to rise in a grapevine, you must go out and prune off the old growth. If you don't, you won't have grapes that year. You, so you have to go out with your shears and you have to dis- look at the shoots and cut off the old growth and cut off what we call the suckers. And if you don't cut off the suckers, there won't be no grape jelly. And we want that grape jelly to go on a hot buttered biscuit coming from Miss Caitlin's kitchen. Can I get a witness? Somebody say amen. And the Lord is making a parallel. He says, look, if you're going to be fruitful, if you're going to have something to show for your spiritual life, I have to come in from time to time and cut back the old growth. I have to remove the suckers that are stunting your growth and I have to remove it. And you won't like it. I don't think anybody likes the pruning process. You see, pruning removes the things that distracts us from our spiritual productivity. So, he snips off our pride. He cuts away our idolatry. He takes his surgical precision to the sin that is stealing the joy and the life. And he says, hold on here. This is going to hurt. On three. One, two, snip. Your dad ever do that when he pulled your tooth out? (laughs) And that's what the Lord does. God targets our sin, our unbelief, our laziness, our selfishness, all the things that are unnecessary and unlike Jesus, and he snips and cuts and prunes. And then he takes it off and burns it. So listen to this. Some of you need to hear this today because you're struggling. Listen to me. The people, the sins, the attitudes that God has removed from your life, stop trying to reconnect with them. You see, God took that person out of your life for a reason. God nailed you on that sin issue because He's trying to help you, but you keep trying to go back and reattach it and say, Lord, I I really want this. And he's saying, this is keeping you from becoming the person that I want you to be. Let's throw it away. Because I've got something greater in store for you if you just trust the process. Amen? Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, pruning is a time-consuming, hands-on labor that must be done by a skilled gardener. Likewise, the Heavenly Father is never near you than when He is pruning you. If the branches could speak, they would confess that the pruning process hurts, but they would also rejoice that they'll be able to produce more abundant and sweeter fruit. Somebody who's been through the pruning process in the house of God, say amen today. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it when you were sick? When you were strapped financially? When your work dried up? When your kids were wayward? When it seemed like you couldn't get anything out of the preacher's sermon? Did you enjoy the pruning process? No! But now, on the other side of it, with clumps of fruit in your hand, you can say, Lord, I didn't want to do it, but I'm thankful that you took your snips to my life and you cut away all this unnecessary stuff from me because today I see what you were trying to get out of me. I see what you were trying to do in me. And I thank you, Lord, for it. In 1960, George Chen was a Chinese pastor who was arrested 
and thrown into a hard labor camp by his communist government. Here were his crimes. Preaching the gospel and transporting Bibles across the border. Because his captors knew that he was a Christian, they wanted to punish Pastor Chin with the worst job imaginable. Cesspool cleanup. You can go watch videos on this man's life. It's unbelievable what he went through. He said the stench was so incredibly nauseating that at first he thought he would die. Nobody wakes up in the morning when they're a kid and says, I want to clean septic tanks one day, Daddy. There's a reason for that. But praise God for the people that do. But he noticed something Mr. Chin did because the job was so foul, none of the prison guards would come around him and basically he was left to himself in that prison camp. It was in that filth that George Chin said, I spent my days deep in human waste turning it with a shovel to make compost. If I was not a Christian, I would have died. But that's where I discovered the secret of abiding with Christ. He said, I enjoyed being alone in the cesspool so that I could pray to my Lord, recite scriptures, and sing hymns loudly without anybody saying anything. He said, one hymn that became especially precious to me was in the garden. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Chin noticed that because Christ was with me, he said, quote, The cesspool became my own private garden. And it was there God produced the sweetest fruit in my life. You think you've had a bad day. You think you've got first world problems. You think, man, things didn't work out the way that I thought. Think about George Chin. Shoveling human waste for 18 years. And he said, it was the sweetest time in my life. Because there I learned abiding in the joy and the peace and the presence of God because God will get down in the muck and the mire and the brokenness and the problems of life. He'll get right down in there with you and say, you're not alone. I'm carrying you. There's peace for you. There's grace for you. He spent 18 years in that camp and then he was released. Finally, the guard said, we can't do anything to reform this guy. He's happier today 18 years later than when we brought him in here. So they let him go. And he helped grow the underground church in China to today. Did you know that China is the largest church in the world? Until he went to be with the Lord in 2021. Where did he learn how to do that? By being pruned. By going through the darkest, filthiest, awfulest experience of his life. But oh, the sweetness of Christ there. Friend, listen to me. Be encouraged today. If God is pruning you, He's about to take you into a new season of spiritual growth. You're going to see God do things in your heart. God's going to bring joy and peace and grace. He's going to move things around in your heart. No, the scoreboard might say you're a loser. But inside, when you're abiding with Christ, you'll say, oh, there's glory in my soul. Devil, you get a black eye. You don't win today. God is my victor. God is my...
yours. God is my strength. Jesus is my Savior. You can't beat me because I know the one who got me up out of bed today. I know the one who died for me and rose for me. So take that. Amen? It's lifelong too. You'll never arrive. Hopefully you'll be better than you were the day you got saved in terms of your spiritual walk. But don't ever think, oh, I've been walking with the Lord long enough. I got this figured out. I don't need to be pruned anymore. It ain't going to happen. There's going to be pruning to the very last day. He who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. And you know what? Listen to me, church. When he prunes you, and he starts taking things away. You say, oh Lord, that hurt. Lord, I don't know if I can trust you. Lord, do you, are, are you really serious? Do we really need to go this far? He's going to take some things away. But you know what? He's going to bring fruit out of your life that's greater than you ever could have imagined. And you'll praise the hand that snipped your vines and say, God, you're so good to me. Lastly, number three is this. Share Christ by your spiritual fruit. We submit or surrender. We stay connected and we share. Notice verse 8. And I'm done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me my disciples. A vine or a tree does not produce fruit for its own consumption. Right? The apple tree or the grapevine produces those fruit or those berries for the enjoyment of others. Think about that. Spiritual fruit is meant to be given away so that the church can be nourished, the church can be edified, and so the lost can know something of the love of God in a life. Some of you are very talented and you're gifted and there's fruit in your life, but you know what? You're not sharing it. You're not serving you're hoarding it. And think of the lives that could be changed. Think of the good you could do for the glory of God in this church if you say, you know what? This fruit isn't for me. <laughs> I've got enough. Let me give this away to somebody else. There's kids that need to be taught. There's youth that need to be loved. There's people that need to be prayed for. There's floors that need to be cleaned and things that need to be done around the house of God. And you've got the gifts and you've got the fruit, but are you sharing it? Another thing, too, you'll never walk by an apple tree or a grapevine and hear it doing this. You'll never go by a grapevine and hear that. It doesn't break sweat. It doesn't have to try to produce fruit. It just does. Out of the nature of of the DNA that God had put in us. You don't have to try to produce fruit when you're abiding in Christ. It just happens. Your job is to hang on. Your job is to stay connected. Your job is to abide. It's His job to do the transformation. It's His job to make the fruit hang from your life. Amen? It's all Him and none of us. Now, I don't have time, but the Bible talks about several kinds of fruit. But I'll just give them to you very quickly. 
Fruit that we should see in our lives. Conversions. Character, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Contributions, that's our giving. Corporate worship, that's our praise. And charity, that's our good works. That's the kind of fruit that God is looking for. And there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. In fact, Jesus says you'll go from bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. Right? If you look at your life and you say, there's no fruit here. You know what? There's no root. No fruit. No root. If you look at your life and you say, you know, there's no love in my heart for sinners. There's no peace in my life. There's no joy. You know what? Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not connected because you don't have any of the fruit that bears witness of the abiding power and presence of Christ. And Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount, just as He warned here, Beware of false prophets. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree can bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Inspect your fruit today. Are you abiding in Christ? There's three kinds of people in every church. There's believers. There's unbelievers. And there's make-believers. Only you know who you are. And may the Holy Spirit reveal that to you as you think about the fruit in your life. Any of you know the name Helen Keller? She lost her sight and hearing as a baby when she became sick from a mysterious illness. But despite her handicap, she became the first deaf and blind person to earn a bachelor's degree from Harvard. She authored many books, gave numerous speeches, and became a force for the rights of disabled people. Her story is amazing. But do you know the reason why Helen Keller achieved so much? is because she had a fully committed teacher. Most people don't know this story. A lady by the name of Ann Sullivan, who committed to being her life coach when Helen was six and Ann was 19. Mrs. Sullivan taught Helen sign language by pressing letters into her hand that spelled the name of objects. Imagine trying to teach somebody that's blind and deaf. Where do you even start? The rule book wasn't there. She had to invent it. Two years later, Anne and Helen taught her how to read Braille fluently. And then by the age of 10, Helen learned different sounds by placing her fingers on Miss Sullivan's throat and feeling the vibrations. When Helen went to college, Miss Sullivan spelled every lecture into Helen's hand. Could you imagine? Ann Sullivan died in 1936 after 50 years of companionship with this girl, Helen Keller. And the sorrowing woman wrote these endearing words about the person who had become her eyes, her ears, and her mouth. Here's what she said. My teacher is so near to me that I scarcely think of myself apart from her. I feel that her being is inseparable from my own and that my footsteps of my life are in hers. All the best of me belongs to her. There is not a talent or an inspiration or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. It's hard to tell where Anne ends and Helen begins. Here's the point. Anne Sullivan was for Helen Keller what Jesus Christ is for you and me. 
He desires to be our eyes, our ears, our mouth. He promises to be our friend who sticks closer than a brother. And yet, in order for that to happen, we must be completely dependent on Him and say, I'm abiding in you. I can't live the Christian life. I can't love like I'm supposed to. I can't pray the way you want me to. I can't have anything in me that will desire you. So Jesus, you live in me. Jesus, you live through me. Jesus, you live this Christian life uh, for me and, and live it out in me as I abide in you and you in me and then you get to the point to where you say as I walk with him where do I begin and where do I end and where does he begin and where does he end that's abiding amen our musicians are coming now and we're preparing for invitation time I, I feel that the Lord has dealt with some hearts today and as we come to this time of invitation, maybe you need to respond today. You've been convicted and you need to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to be saved today because you say, there's no fruit in my life. <clears throat> maybe there's some pruning <clears throat> that's been happening in your life and you've been resistant to it. And you need to fully surrender to that. Maybe the way that you show you're serious in abiding with Christ is that you say... I want this church to be my home. I want to serve more. I want to worship more. I want this place to be my vine where I plug in and where I receive spiritual nourishment and where I give out.